All right, I don't know what they're talking about it being too cold in here. I'm great. This is... I know, I am in my element. I am in my world, okay? This is weather appropriate. It was downright chilly yesterday. And uh, so it is jacket weather, which means I am in my own, I'm in my zone. And so um, it also means, by the way, I'm pretty pumped about this. It means it's football season. And uh, despite all of the chaos and everything going on, it looks like we're still going to have football, regular season games, kickoff Thursday night in the NFL. And yes, I'm an NFL fan because there weren't any good college teams where I grew up. And so um, I'm a big time Buffalo Bills fan, but it also means not only do we have football happening for me, this is when I'm an athlete. This is the time of the year where I myself participate and make things happen when it comes to professional football <laughs> because Jess why are you laughing do you know where I'm going with this because I kind of was daydreaming and then I heard you call yourself an athlete and then I heard the rest <laughs> of it and then it was really cracking me up so my wife was daydreaming and then she heard me call myself an athlete and she broke out into uncontrollable <laughs> laughter so there's that but the reason I'm excited is because it's fantasy football season. And for those of you that don't do the fantasy football, what that means is people who are not athletic and not actually involved in sports get to pretend that we are. And so we draft players and manage teams and those we get points based on how the players perform and, and all of that. And then we take a certain level of success out of that as we should because it is truly athletic and competitive. And every year I am always prepared for the draft because I do a ton of research and I have a system. I know that surprises a lot of you. I have a system and I actually brought it with me. It's contained oh. in this envelope. Oh, it is prepared. That's right. No, 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 no. Get out of here. Jeremy, Jeremy is in our league and, and he understands how good the system is, which is why he's trying to steal it. Although I came in third to last place this past year, but I, I won the two years before that. So we just, we were in a rebuilding year. And um, so just so you know, this is under armed guard. Okay. My, you, my wife, she, she has two arms. So I'm excited about the season because. <laughs> something's happening in the chat, but um, so yeah, we've got it. We've got uh, our draft is actually tonight. So I am prepared and excited because if you want to be successful, you have to prepare, right? You either plan to, what's the phrase? You either plan to succeed or you fail to plan or plan to fail. This can't be right. What happened last year? If you fail last year, I came in third to last. I already said that. Uh, last year I was rebuilding. I kept too many players. It's Okay, whatever the phrase, put the phrase in the chat. Then people can see it and know what it is. The point is, if you want to succeed, you need to plan, all right? Success doesn't happen by accident, at least not for most people. And so you have to be thinking about what's going on and all the different parameters and everything and thinking about what, you know, in fantasy football, it's what kind of team you want to build and how you want it to be balanced and all of this kind of stuff. <clears throat> but we're starting, excuse me, we're starting a series today called Seven. It's in Roman numerals, but I know y'all get that. The series is called Seven. <laughs> Marie's, been, <laughs> Marie's been calling it V2. Okay, so it's the Roman numerals. The series is called Seven. Okay, and we are going to be doing a small study in the first part of the book of Revelation. Now, I know when I say the book of Revelation, there are a lot of people that are like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
And I get it, Revelation is full of a lot of symbolism and it can be a little difficult to understand. And if you spend time studying it, you can understand what's going on in Revelation. But we're gonna focus on the first three chapters of Revelation, which are different than all of that other stuff, although there is some symbolism. But it's all part of a bigger thing that happened that was written down. And the first part of Revelation, well, really all of it, is about planning. It's about preparing. Because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to earth and took on the form of a man, fully God and fully man at the same time, that he died on the cross to pay for our sin if we put our faith in him, we could be forgiven. He was put into a tomb, he rose again on the third day in power, and then ascended to heaven. But the kicker is, we believe he's coming back. And Revelation is helping the church understand how to prepare for Jesus' return what our mentality should be, what our actions should look like, how we prepare for him to return. And so even though some people may find it a little bit confusing, it is incredibly important and incredibly practical for us as well to understand what's going on here. So that's what we are going to do. We are gonna get prepared. It's not preparing for a draft. It's more important than that. It's more important than sports. And so we're gonna spend eight weeks and I'll talk about how that's all gonna lay out as we go through our time together today. But what I want to do together today is we are going to read through the first chapter of Revelation. Yes, the entire chapter. So I will try to keep my comments brief and just provide enough context so we all know what's going on. All right. Revelation chapter one really sets the stage for everything that happens afterward, helps us understand why, why this is written, how it happened, what's going on. All right. So Revelation chapter one, uh, starting in verse one, always a good place to start. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So we know the revelation came from Jesus, right? That's the source of everything in this entire book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. So John is the one who receives this. Now, we're really familiar with John, aren't we, if you've been with us this year in our series, because we started the year with three weeks in 1 John, and then we spent like 16 weeks in the Gospel of John all the way up to and through Easter. So we've been reading a lot from John. He also writes this because Jesus gives this revelation to him. So, uh, signified it to his angel and to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all the things that he saw. So basically it means he wrote down what he saw. That's all. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So this is a message, a picture, a window into the present and the future for John. John is currently, when he writes this, on the island of Patmos, or the Isle of Patmos. It's in the middle of the, basically in the Aegean Sea. And it was a place where he was exiled, where they stuck him so that he would be away from everyone else. He was there because of his testimony of Jesus, because of the persecution and everything that was going on with Christians. And so John is out on this island. Uh, it's, it's hot there, okay? But I'm not going to say it was nice because I don't think it was. The island of Patmos is very rocky and, and very barren, but he is in the middle of the Mediterranean or the Aegean Sea. And 
so he's there. John is later in his life when he receives this. He's still writing and getting messages out to the churches, even though he's exiled. And um, John is likely on his own for the most part, and he's also probably physically disfigured. This is after the attempt on his life when they, uh, he was boiled in oil. They tried to kill him by boiling him in oil, and it didn't work. Um, and uh, so he's probably disfigured from that event. He's exiled by himself most of the time. And so he spends his time writing and praying, and it's in those moments that Jesus gives him this window into the future, all right? Uh, so he is, uh, we're going to, let's just keep reading. John, Revelation chapter 1, now we're in verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. So he's writing this letter to these seven churches, not Asia like we would think of today, but like, uh, uh, what would they call it, uh, West Asia? It's basically modern-day Turkey, okay, uh, where Turkey is today. And... Uh, he says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So the first who was and is and is to come, that's a reference to God the Father. The seven spirits before the throne, I know it's a little confusing because it says seven spirits, but most scholars agree he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit is often described as having seven ministries or seven characteristics. If you look in Isaiah chapter 11, he talks about the Spirit and he gives him seven attributes. It's the number of perfection and completion. And so this is a reference to the Spirit. So he says, uh, grace and peace to you from him who was and is and is to come. That's God the Father. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, that's the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. So this he's saying, this is all, I'm greeting you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, three in one. All right. To him who loved us and washed us from our, sin, our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as John starts off this, that he's sending out to all the churches, he wants to make it clear who this is coming from. This is, he's saying, this isn't coming from me, all right? This is, not, this is not my message. This is not the gospel that I wrote or the letters that I wrote. This is different. This is something that Jesus himself told me, and he told me to write it down, and we're going to see that happen as we continue reading. All right, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So John is saying, as he's starting off this, this, this letter, this message out to all of these churches, he's, he wants to make sure they understand who it's coming from. And he wants them to remember that Jesus is returning. That's what he's saying in verse 7. Jesus is returning, and you better be prepared when he does. He references, he says, uh, then every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jewish, the, the nation of Israel, the Jews who rejected Jesus. Now, there are Jews today who have accepted Jesus, but the Jews as a nation, as a whole, rejected him. He said, they're going to see him coming. And he says, all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. 
Well, who are the tribes of the earth? The tribes of the earth consistently throughout scripture, when it uses that word and talks about tribes, is talking about the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. So he means that they're going to see him coming, even the ones who pierced him. Now, not the people that did it. They're long gone by now, but the people as a whole. And when he comes, they're going to go, missed that one. Okay, you know, that, I mean, they're going to they're gonna realize when he returns in his power and in his glory that they got it wrong, okay? So he's saying, you got to be prepared. God was and is and is to come. He's getting all the stage set for everything that's coming because, frankly, he knows what he saw and what he's seen, and it's going to be wild. And you have to remember as you read through the book of Revelation, whether, even with the beginning here or when, when you get all the way through all, all the chapters, then... Uh, you have to realize there's a lot of symbolism. And John is seeing something he's never seen before. And he's doing the best that he can in, in, the, in the power of the Spirit to communicate that through terms that we would understand. So all of the stuff you get later, like it's, a, it's like, a, like a lion with the head of a whatever, you know, you've got all these, you know, it's a, it's a bear with a rib in his mouth, you know, you've got all these symbols and things. He's trying to describe what he's seeing the best that he possibly can. And so there's a lot of symbol, symbolism to work through, but he wants us to know where it's coming from and that it's worth paying attention to. It's worth listening to because this comes directly from God. All right, let's keep breathing. He's going to explain how this all happened, starting in verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's saying I was there because of my testimony. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and... What you see, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So now I want you to, I, I think it's helpful. You can't run too far with this, but I think it's helpful whenever you're reading scripture to put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're reading <laughs> or the situation. And that's going to help you to understand some of the emotions and the feelings and the, the dynamics of what's going on. And you got to be careful because you don't want to take a modern perspective and put it on an ancient culture. So you have to bring it all in context. But I think for anybody, no matter what time of your life or what time of in history it is, if you are praying quietly, well, maybe he's not praying quietly. I don't know. He's, he's in the spirit and he's praying. It's the Lord's day. Uh, and he is exiled on this island, and all of a sudden, a voice booms out to you and says, I am everything. Write this down. I don't know what everyone's reaction would be. My first reaction would be like, woo! I just, first of all, I want to make sure it's not bad pizza. That's step one. <laughs> I want to make sure this is really happening, but I don't think there was any doubt for him. My first response would be, I got a pen. Let's go. My just says my first question would be, where is my pen? I went on a tirade in our house yesterday because my children have stolen all of my highlighters. So I had to find my highlighters and they were in our kids' drawers, by the way. Uh, so, so I finally got them back. But the first reaction would be, where's a pen? Let me get this down. And I'm sure I can't, I, I don't know 
exactly how this all happened. If John is, you know, writing as he's being told, if it's being told to him in segments, if he's like, hang on, let, you know, catch up, you know, wait. But he's getting it all down and writing down everything that he sees and trying to catalog it and get it right. And you have to imagine if God comes to you and speaks to you and says, write this down, you are going to be just out of your mind trying to get it exactly right <laughs> or as close as you possibly can. It's a great honor. And as it is uh, given to him, he's told that he needs to write this stuff down and he needs to write it out to the seven churches. Now, the first chapter is really context and setting things up. That's what we're talking about today. The next two chapters, chapter two and three, are individual messages to each of these seven churches. Each church gets a greeting. They get, well, if there's good things to say, they get good things to say. If there's bad things to say, they get bad things to say. They get direction directly from Jesus in how they are supposed to prepare and anticipate his return. It's amazing. And so John writes all that down. And then after that, those are the things that are. And then after chapter three, starting with chapter four, you get the things that are to come. And this is the, the prophecy that is hotly debated over what the timelines are and how it's all going to work. But it's ultimately the story of how Jesus is going to return and defeat uh, Satan finally and completely and restore and establish his kingdom here on earth. And uh, we're not going to be talking about that in this series, though it is very important. We're going to be focusing on uh, chapters one through three. Now, he's supposed to, uh, to write out to these churches. And I think it's important as we get into the series that we have a little bit of context, a little bit of historical context. I know some of you don't care for the history stuff, but for those of you who do, History nerds unite, okay? <laughs> because there's going to be some good stuff in this series. The context of these local churches and towns matters greatly in understanding what Jesus is saying to them, understanding how they would receive it and understand it, how they would see the symbols that he talks about, how they would understand them. So these seven churches, as I already mentioned, are in the area that would today be known as Turkey, and the gospel at the time was spreading quickly through that area, through all of these towns. All these towns were located on a trading route that started in Ephesus and then blossomed out from there. So Ephesus was kind of the big city, and then the rest of these are suburbs in, in some way of the city. And so the, the roads and the trade routes uh, blossomed out from there. Um, today, I will tell you, this is very sad, but today there are almost no Christians in Turkey whatsoever. Um, it is a nation, oh, I didn't write down the number. It's a nation of a bunch of people, like 100 million people, not, not 100 million people, that's too many. 41 million, what is it? Is it 41? 82 million, so I was halfway there. All right, 82 million people in Turkey today, and uh, four-tenths of a percent of them are Christians, and that's every branch of Christianity. Uh, represented within that four tenths. So it's it's not a lot. It, I mean, it's like 100,000 people, but that's not a lot when you compare that with the entire uh, population. But at that time, Christianity was spreading very quickly. It was still very early and spreading quickly. And uh, the, the Romans were in control of this area. So the Roman emperor at the time was a guy named Domitian. Domitian. 
And um, Domitian was part of a royal family. They were called the Flavians. So the Flavian dynasty. I don't know if any of you that are in history may be familiar with that. His father ruled before him. His brother ruled before him. And then he ruled. And his rule was actually the longest. It was 15 years. Now, most historical documents record that Domitian was a cruel and evil uh, emperor. But as we have un as you know, historians have uncovered more and more documents and information, we found that's actually not the case. Although every emperor was in their own way, he was not as evil as he, history paints him. And that's because uh, he tried to completely annul the Senate. <laughs> and so he would, anytime someone from the Senate would challenge his authority, he would have them ousted and put in somebody who would say yes to him and believe him. Because Domitian believed that power needed to rest with one person. He believed in that totalitarian kind of government. And so, uh, what's up? No, I'm not. Oh, okay. So, so he believed in that. So he tried to annul the Senate and, um, and, uh, the problem was eventually the Senate won (laughs) and had him assassinated. In fact, it's quite a, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that's the way things happen then. Right. So he was assassinated actually quite a story because one of his servants, they paid to, to assassinate him wore, uh, faked an arm injury and wore bandages for weeks. And then one day had a weapon inside of his bandages and attacked um, Domitian and killed him. And after he killed him, the Senate didn't like Domitian because of everything that he had done. And as Winston Churchill uh, famously said, uh, history is written by the victors. And so the the Senate went about trying to basically wipe out Domitian's uh, reputation. So, but but actually, he was a very exacting person. He was very systematic and organized. He believed in a strong military, and he believed in a strong um, uh, uh, ruling party as well. But the thing about uh, about the mission that is most important for us to understand is that he was very very committed to the Roman, uh, the system of Roman gods and mythology. He wanted to return the uh, the Roman Empire back to what it was under Caesar Augustus, which meant a very, very strong ruler and a strong commitment to their to their gods and mythology. Along with that included something called the imperial cult. He reinstated the imperial cult. Now, I know we hear the word cult and we have our thoughts about what that word means. What it meant for them was that the ruling party were next two gods. And when someone from the royal family essentially were to pass away, they would become a god. And so when he took power, he deified his brother. And also when his um, son died, his son died at a young age. We don't know what happened, but his son died at a young age. He also deified his son and made him a god. And when that, when that happened, he actually had a coin minted. And this is important. This is all going somewhere, okay? This is going to help us understand what we read in a minute. He had a coin minted that was in circulation when John wrote this. And on that coin, on the well, on one side was his face, of course, because they did that. And then on the other side was his son sitting on top of a globe with seven stars around him, and he was holding those seven stars. So his son sitting on the globe holding the seven stars symbolized the fact that his son was a god. This was something that they believed. It goes all the way back because um, Zeus apparently had a nurse named Helice who was a mortal. 
and Zeus wanted to uh, reward his nurse, Halise, for her service, and so he made her a god, and he made her a constellation with seven stars in it that they called the constellation of Halise, a constellation that we call Ursa Major, or the Big Dipper, the Big Bear. So they believed that the, the, the Big Dipper was Halise, and because seven stars, she was a god. So seven stars symbolized deity. Very important, all right? And so Domitian believed very heavily in this, and because of his belief in the mythology of the Romans, he heavily persecuted Christians. He wanted to wipe out Christians. So under Roman rule, under Domitian, Christians were at risk of being killed. They were at risk of being um, isolated or uh, put on an island, exiled like John. And so there was a lot of pressure on the churches right now, even though they were growing quickly. Very important for us to understand as we continue reading in this series. Something that is always in John's mind, even as he's putting this down. And what you're going to notice as we go through the series is that Jesus speaks to them in terms they can understand. He uses analogies that they would make sense in their city. Uh, he uses examples that would make sense for their culture specifically. And so it's important that we understand those things, and we'll talk more about each individual city as we go through. But just understand, that's what's going on overall for all of them. Okay, now, those of you who aren't crazy about history, we're moving on, all right? So they're under threat of persecution and pressure. That's, that's the, the, the bottom line there. And I think this is very timely for us. They were under pressure to, to give in to the systems that were around them, the cultures that were around them, and some of them were doing well, and some of them were not doing well. And we find ourselves in a time when there is a lot of pressure for us as Christians to give in to the other systems and ideologies around us. We have to understand how we stay pure, how we stay righteous, how we stay Christ-like, how we stay kingdom-minded as we wait for Jesus to return. So the pressure's on us. We're not in the same kind of physical danger that they were in, but we have pressure nonetheless, and we have to understand the same things they understood. Okay, let's keep reading. All right, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters." He had in his right hand seven stars. Does that sound familiar to anybody? He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in all its strength. Imagine. Put yourself in his shoes. He is doing the best that he can to describe. Now listen, John knows Jesus. John walked with Jesus, listened to Jesus, served with Jesus for three years. He saw Jesus resurrected, but he has never seen Jesus like this. He has never seen Jesus in his power and his glory this same way. Now, Jesus did transfigure and display himself, but 
John, I, I can only imagine he's looking and he's doing his best to describe something holy that he's seen, something magnificent and glorious. And so he's attaching all of these words to try to describe his eyes with like fire. His hair was, was white like wool. It was, he was, he had gold band around his chest. He was like bronze, like gold, like he's trying to describe the beauty and the majesty. And he wants everyone who reads this to understand the power that sits behind everything that's about to be said. So that when he talks to the church in Laodicea, or he talks to the church in Sardis, or he talks to the church in Thyatira, they understand the glory of Jesus. And they can't be just like, well, that's an opinion. He's, this is, as he's describing this, it's adding weight to it for them. And it should add weight to it for us. This is coming straight from the mouth of Jesus, the one who is and is to come. One of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in all his power and all his glory and all his majesty. And so we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention. It matters. Okay, he's got to be blown away. He is blown away. We know that because verse 17 says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Blown away. Just dead. <laughs> just, I just, I dropped. I probably would too. But this is important. But he laid his right hand on me saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. So here's the thing. He's about to say a bunch of things to John that are going to be a little scary, that are going to be hard to understand, that are going to be hard to swallow. Messages are going out to the church that is going to be hard for them to hear and to receive because a lot of it is challenge. A lot of it is Jesus looking at the churches and saying, you guys got to get things you, you got to get all the way together because it's not there right now. It's going to be hard to hear, but he needs John to know, and he needs the church to know, and he needs you to know that even though it may be hard, even though it may be challenging, even though it's difficult, he wins. He holds the keys. And so we can trust him. He is good and he is loving. And we do not have to be afraid of any of this. Don't be afraid of any of it. Don't let fear drive you. Don't let fear drive your decisions or your thoughts or your actions. Jesus wins. Trust him. Have confidence and faith. That's what he's trying to say to John. And then he gets down to business. Verse 19. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Now we're going to focus on the things that are in this series, those first few chapters. And then he explains, thankfully in this case, he explains verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Okay, so in this case, we get an explanation of what the symbolism is. He said the stars are the angels of the churches. Now, we know that would also call to remembrance them the idea of deity, that Jesus holds the stars and he is, he is God. But he says the seven stars are the angels of the churches, which we might, you know, just gloss over that and think, okay, so every, every church has an angel. Well, that may or may not be true, but that's not what he's saying here. He uses the word angelos, all right, which means messenger. 
And so it's the messengers of the churches that he's saying this to. He can't be speaking about angels in this case because, first of all, it wouldn't make any sense for him to give a message to John to give to angels. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, But also, there's a couple of places where he actually challenges the angel of the church. Uh, uh, What's a good example? Um, I think Ephesus, he does that. Uh, He challenges the angel of the church and says, the angel is sinning. Well, (laughs) the angels don't do that. So he's not talking to the angels. He's talking to the messengers of the church. And in this case, when he says angels of the church, what he means is the messenger of the church, which is the leaders of the church, the teachers of the church, the pastor, the elders, all right? In particular, probably the pastor, whoever the pastor or whatever the term they would use would be for uh, that key leader of the church because he does address them individually um, as we get on later. So those are the leaders of the churches. And then he describes, he says that the, the lampstands are the churches. What, this, is the, this is one of the most beautiful pictures I think we get out of the book of Revelation. Because what is a lampstand? Well, a lampstand is not the light. A lampstand holds up the light, displays the light. So what is the church? Even though scripture does say you are the light of the world, but what is the church? The church is a lampstand. The church displays the light. And what is Jesus pictured doing as John introduces the book of Revelation? He's walking amongst the lampstands. He's walking amongst the lampstands. I think it is so beautiful. The lampstand is supposed to shine light. And that's what the churches are supposed to be doing. And the problem is he's got a few churches that he's going to deal with over the next couple chapters that aren't doing that well. And the couple that are doing it really well. And so he wants to point out the differences and help them all learn together. So what we're going to do, as we prepare for the rest of the series, I just want to, I want to land this with three quick observations. We're really just setting the stage for the rest of this series. But I want to give three quick observations that we can pull out of Revelation 1 as we prepare for the next couple of chapters. First, Jesus gave the revelation as an encouragement. It often doesn't get thought of that way. Because of all the imagery and all the things that go on throughout the book of Revelation, some people call it a doomsday book. It's not a doomsday book. Some people think it's about pain and suffering. It's not about pain and suffering. It's about the victory of Jesus Christ. It's about the renewal of the earth. It's about the victory. It's it's about good, okay? It's good, and it's meant to be encouraging. And Jesus wants them to know how it ends so they can get through the day today as they face the persecution that they're facing. They want, he wants to give them that light essentially at the end of the tunnel. Very important. We know that Jesus wins. We know that Jesus died on the cross for our sin and if we, and rose again. And if we put our faith in him, we win with him. We win because of him. Okay. We experience eternal life and kingdom here with him. And so we're looking forward to that. He gave the revelation as an encouragement. Second, Jesus expects the church to glorify God until he returns. That's our job. Our job is to be a lampstand. Our job is to shine the light of the gospel into the world, regardless of how hard that is or how challenging it may be. He expects the messengers of the church to do the same, the teachers and leaders of the church to be doing that to be sharing the gospel and sending it out and for the church to be displaying that light. And so we need to take that very seriously. All of us have a role in that. And then the third observation, Jesus loves the church and wants it to be strong. Jesus loves the church. And even though over the next few chapters, he's going to say some hard things to them, he's doing it because he he loves them. And 
He wants them to be strong. He's walking amongst lampstands. And so I want you to trust Jesus. What we're going to do over the next, um, the next seven weeks, we're going to take a look each week at one church. Pick one church per week. We're going to understand what's going on with that church, what Jesus says they're doing well if, if they are doing things well, what he says they're not doing well if they're not doing things well. And we're going to understand how to take the good and to learn from the bad for us. And I really want to challenge you to participate in that actively with us, more so than just participating in this service on the weekend over YouTube. So what we're going to do, we're going to put a focus over the next seven weeks on being in groups together. All right? Now, meeting, yes. And I want to really challenge you to do this. Listen, watching the services is fine, and it's good, and it's something that we should do. Participating in the service is a good thing. But to be the church and to shine light the way that we're supposed to, we need to be encouraging and discussing and working through this stuff together. So just listening to someone isn't the same as interacting. So I want to strongly encourage you and challenge you to interact with us through this series. What we're going to do is we're going to put together groups that will last just for the next seven weeks. They're short-term groups. You can continue if you want to, but we're going to put them together just for this series. All of our groups are going to do the study that we are going to write for that week's message. So it will come out of that week's message. Some of those groups are going to be meeting in person. And some of those groups are going to be meeting online. So you can choose whichever one you prefer, whichever one you're comfortable with. We're working on finalizing the list of those groups, and I will email those out on Wednesday. So make sure you're on the church email list. Now, if you, have, if you, if you think you're on the list, but you haven't gotten an email in a while, that's not because something went wrong. It's just because we don't send out emails very often. So if you're sure, if you've received emails from us before about announcements and other things, then you're on the list. Um, but if not, make sure you go to our website and there's a spot where you can put your email in, uh, carolinafamily.church, and you can get signed up. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to send out an email. It will have a final list of all those groups with links for you to go sign up for those groups, and then you'll get all your information about them. All right? So it'll be a great way for us to connect. It'll be a great way for us to process all of this and make sure that even in the situation we're in right now, our church is the lampstand that it needs to be. There's much for us to learn here. And it's something that's going to be an awesome time for us to grow together and, and uh, enjoy, and uh, not only learn, but to enjoy time together in fellowship. All right, so I'm going to ask God to bless all of this as we continue to read and continue to study and continue to gather in groups. I'm going to pray and ask him to bless this and to encourage us through it and to challenge us as well. All right. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love and your grace towards us. You are good and you are holy. You are all-knowing and all-powerful and ever-present, and so we thank you for that. And we also understand that in your love and mercy, you you decided to save us. And so you sent your son Jesus to do for us what we couldn't do, to die in our place and to rise again. And many of us have put our faith in Jesus and asked him for forgiveness. And there may be someone who decides to do that today, knowing that Jesus does have the victory and that we want to be prepared for his return. And so Jesus, we believe in you. We, our faith is in you. We trust you. You are everything, and so we are waiting for you to return, and we'd ask that it be today. That would be awesome, and if it's not today, then you have more work for us to do in the meantime, and we want to take that very seriously. So help us to understand, each of us to understand our part, how we support the lampstand, how, how we individually and how we corporately are doing at shining light and sharing the message of truth, the message of the gospel, the message of hope. 
We will do that as well as we possibly can until you return. And if there's anything that you need to challenge in us over the next seven weeks, we're asking you to do that and we're saying that we're open to it. We're open to you saying that there are things we're getting right and there are things we're getting wrong. And so even though the letters that you wrote and that you sent out through John to these churches are specifically for them, we know that you can speak to us through them as well. So we ask for that. Give us clarity and confidence as we take that, we apply it, we try to shine that light the best way that we can in the direction and power of the Spirit, in the light of the gospel, for the glory of God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.